Welcome to this last edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm going to this on a Saturday, um, the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. We have a bunch of stuff uh, to discuss in regards to that. Um, of course, uh, you're going to hear this. You will hear this podcast probably come on uh, Sunday. And by the time you hear this, hip-hop will, you know, They'll be two days old as far as the uh, birthday celebration. Uh, the official birthday for hip hop was August 11th. But regardless, you know, we're going to discuss that uh, uh, definitely with a special segment, a special deep dive into one of the greatest, no, not one of, probably the greatest, the greatest battle in hip hop history. But before we get into that, um, just some devastating news that came across the sports world uh, yesterday um, uh, the just sudden and tragic death of Caleb, Caleb White. If you didn't hear Caleb White is one of was one of the top basketball players, high school basketball players in the state of Alabama. He was going to a major D1 school without question. He was ranked like the n- number three point guard. Uh, the number three player in Alabama, maybe the, I think like the top twenty-five point guards in the country. Uh, he passes out during a workout, and uh, and and basically died on the spot. Uh, could not be resuscitated. Could, could not be brought back. Uh, they are still trying to figure out. There hasn't been an autopsy yet on what was the cause of death. Um, certain, certainly, speculation will run rampant. Uh, especially considering you know what happened, what just happened to uh, Ronnie James a, a few weeks back with cardiac arrest. Again, I'm not here to play doctor. Uh, I, we, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on what happened uh, in regards to that. Will certainly the information uh, will come out soon enough. Uh, maybe it will be out even before, as as you know as I'm recording this podcast uh, before the weekend's out. But there's nothing worse. Uh, to me, um, in regards to someone passing away, then young death, a young person, um, because you know you see this young man again. You know, thinking we definitely deepest condolences go out to his parents, uh, loved ones, uh, close friends. You don't know what this young man was going to be capable of doing in the future. Like, you don't like this, you know, to have a life cut short at 17. You know, I mean, it's one thing, listen, when people die all the time, I mean, that's just the reality of life. You know, you see someone in the 80s, someone died at 85, 80, you know, I'm sure it hurts. All of us, a lot of us have lost grandparents, but, you know, we can celebrate the lives of our grandparents or someone in their 80s or 70s and what have you and looking back at what they've done what they've accomplished and, you know, hold those moments um, forever, depending on how close you were to the person. For a 17-year-old, um, I don't know what, you know, and again, his, his, you know, when his funeral takes place, they'll, you know, his parents, uh, people close to him will celebrate him and they'll say great things about him and they'll have memories. I'm sure they have some great memories about him. And listen, to get to that, to get to the level that he was at basketball, you know, he certainly, he certainly seemed like he was a stand-up young man. Everything that you've heard of, uh, that you've read has been great as far as the type of person, type of, about the player he was, but the type of person that he was. 
but I don't I don't understand. I don't know how as a parent or as that you could like even remotely celebrate your son at a funeral or your daughter at a funeral. In this particular case, your son at a funeral. I don't I don't even know how that would even like just uh, again I can't no I can't imagine what these parents are going his parents are going through right now. And you know, I, I've unfortunately I've um, had to. I've gone to a couple of funerals over the last couple of years of, of young people in their twenties and early twenties. I've been, you know, lost a friend as a teenager who was only nineteen years old. So it it is not it is is something that you just you really can't put your emotions on it if you've been through it or you witness it. It's 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 just. Uh, and not and not in a great way. It's surreal. It's almost like it's, this. This is almost like it's, this is not happening. Like look, look, you know, no, they're not going. They're still, you know, you. They're not going. Uh, they're still. They're here. And you know, when that reality hits that the person is no longer with you, no longer with uh, with us, then it again it could be a just uh, just a devastating process to go through or to deal with. Um, you know the impact that this young man could have had on the world, as he, you know, would have grown. As he, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But you know, the bottom line is his parents will, you know, never see him do things that I'm sure they were looking forward to him as far as a wedding, or as far as you know him having. Excuse me. As far as uh, him having, you know, grandkids and things of that nature, things that. As parents, you look forward in those momentous steps of your child's life, those milestones of graduations and uh, celebrations and and what have you, you know, and, and what have you, and that just just got cut short with with Caleb with uh, Caleb White. Again, I'm not going to get into to speculate what what this uh, what was the cause of his death. Um, You know, you, somebody passes out. Who again? Who knows? Again, I'm not going to speculate on it, but it is something that uh, his parents will will be with them for the rest of their lives. And you know, I, I guess that the only thing you can do in a situation um, that somebody, especially somebody from the outside, somebody like myself, uh, you know, as an educator, just continue to uh, to be the best possible. You know, continue to help our youth. Continue to uh, develop strong relationships with our youth, and you know, continue and make every day count. Um, you know, make every day count. Uh, you just frankly, you just never know. Uh, but again, rest in peace to uh, young Kayla White. Um, and again, again, my deepest condolences to his uh, to his family. Tough to segue off that. I understand. But you know, we will make it work. Uh, this is a very momentous weekend if you are a fan of hip hop. Um, before we even get into the deep dive uh, of the greatest hip hop battle in uh, history, as hip hop celebrates, it's, it's really amazing that not so much that hip hop has been around for 50 years. But the impact that hip hop has had on every aspect of society, when you think about it, 
like sports, politics, um, pop culture. There's not one aspect of society that hip hop has not touched over the course of its 50 years. And I remember growing up and, uh, you know, you would hear the shit. You would hear, you know, older people talk about, oh, this, you know, society says, oh, this this won't last. And I heard that in the 80s, even as a kid, I heard that in, in the mid to late 80s that it's, this is not going to last. This is not. This, you know, and by the time I heard it, hip hop was already 15, basically maybe 10 to 15 years in its existence. Um, and, you know, you would hear that and just kind of dismiss it as a kid. You kind of in your own world. Anyway, and for me, um, hip hop has always been a part of my life because I've been listening to it forever since I could remember. With the, you know, going back to like Run DMC, uh, Salt Pepper, and some of the tapes, you know, Big Daddy Kane, Heavy D, those are some of the cats that I came that you know that uh, that came, I came up with uh, Rock Hill, um, that were in my era. Uh, early on, and then of course the '90s hit, and we all know anybody that's connected to hip hop that cares about hip hop that knows anything about hip hop. The '90s changed hip hop forever. Like the '90s were it for hip hop, as far as like it set hip hop. Like right now, hip hop is more popular than it's ever been, as far as just worldwide popularity. Um, but the '90s were the defining decade for hip hop with the artists that came out and with some of them, we're going to discuss two of them shortly. The nineties defined hip hop. And again, hip hop thing about hip hop is, it's just not the music. It's, it's culture. It's the dread, you know, it affects how you affected the way the types of types of clothes that people wear sneakers, all that. It, it touches every aspect of society. And there are not too many, Musical, I can't. I mean, I. There is again. It is right now, without question, it is the most powerful, the most popular musical genre there is in the world. It has surpassed rock, surpassed everything. Where hip hop is at, uh, at is right now. And again, there's some things on hip hop right now that could be fixed. We can. I mean, we can. Uh, that you know, there's some things uh, if you want to uh, nitpick, but. I'm not gonna do that today. Uh, that's for another day. That's for another podcast. But there's no way, like, there's no way that anybody anticipated that hip hop would be this big. Now, the idea that anything that we as as black people touch would fail is insane to me. So the idea that somebody saying this would that it would last, like, what what have we ever done that, in terms of from an artistic standpoint? That did that wasn't going to make it. That wasn't going to last. Like whatever we ever put our hands in on, or put our souls into, that wasn't going to be. That that hasn't been built. Like artistically, formative. Like we are, we we do it all as black people. We built at everything that we ever done, uh, in, in society. So I the idea that it wasn't going to last, which is that that was that's comical. Uh, now that you that now that you look back on it. But um, it's still here and it's stronger than ever. And it's not really, it's not going anywhere. It's not like it's not going anywhere. And right now, I think hip hop is in the, you know, despite some of the stuff that has happened with the uh, with, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of rappers being shot 
been killed over the last couple of years that to me I'm not blaming that on hip hop as much as I'm blaming that blaming that but that's more of a societal uh conversation than it is a hip hop conversation. Hip hop is in the best place it's ever been because there's music, you know, hip hop being fifty years old, there's music for everybody. If you don't want to mess with Drake or some of the newer cats that have come out, ooh, you got Nas, Fifty Cent, guys like that are still touring. Okay, you got some of the these older acts are still going on these tours and selling out stadiums, selling out uh, arenas all over the country, all over the world. So there's a there's a there's a time period for everybody. There's music for everybody in regards to hip hop. For everybody, you know. So that's the beauty of you know of it being. 50 years old and and let's be honest the evolution of hip-hop from just new york a new york-based product uh you know again when i was growing up in the 80s it was all new york it was new york and it was new york and nwa basically new york, let's say new york and los angeles but los angeles was starting like the west coast was you know coming about coming of age with with nwa you know, guys like DJ Quick. So the West, I mean, I get the West. I get the West Coast is flowers, but it was a New York. It was New York was the king. New York was, were the kings of hip hop. There's no question about it. But you know, that all changed in you know in 19 what 94. Um, excuse me, 1995 with the uh coming with with Outkast. Outkast turns of the South. Outkast changed that uh forever. And, you know, the Ghetto Boys, and then you started hitting you know, those. It started spreading to the Midwest, and then you know it just went all over the country, all over the world uh, in regards to that. But it is you know New York is the birthplace birthplace of hip hop. That there's no question about it. But now, fifty years later, we're really not. Are we even talking about New York hip hop right now? Are we are we even talking about New York as a power in hip hop? I don't think so. Uh, it's the about the mid. The South, the South has taken over. I think the South, Memphis. Atlanta, these places have absolutely taken over hip hop. So that's you know, that's just it. I mean, the Midwest, Detroit, what have you? Have but those places that have absolutely taken over hip hop. Louisiana, uh, with some of the artists that have developed. So, uh, happy birthday to hip hop. With that being said, we are going to now deep dive one of the definitive hip hop battle, and there have been some great ones. I mean, over the course of you know. The test of time. There have been some, you know, some heavy heavyweight ones. This one is clearly the like Ali Frazier. Uh that might not even do it justice of hip hop. And we we go back to 2001, Nas versus Jay-Z. No, in fact, matter of fact, it's easy to start. I know it's easy to start at 2001. Let's take it back to when this really started. And that was in 1994. So I think what gets lost about this battle is the third party. Because there was a third party. And there were a number of parties in this battle, but there was a significant third party who was considered to be one of the greatest rappers of all time. And that, of course, was the Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls. I always call him Biggie Smalls. I, I don't care about that trademark thing that forced him to change his name. He, he's Biggie Smalls to me. Um, so... The Biggie Smalls aspect of this cannot be ignored or denied. So, at 1994, 
Ready to Die comes out, Illmatic comes out. Illmatic is quickly acclaimed as a just a masterpiece album, but it was Ready to Die. That was the commercial album that got the attention and in essence made Boogie the king of New York. And back then, if you were the king of New York, you were the king of rap from, a, from an MC standpoint, period. That's, I mean, New York at that point still had the cachet, even though the South was coming, even though the West Coast was there with Snoop and with Tupac and all, you know, Dr. Dre and all that, and, and, and Death Row was doing, the West Coast was, was popping, and the West Coast had a moment where they dominated the 90s. Let's that's not, that's not forget that. But New York, if you as a MC were regarded as the top MC in New York, you were regarded, you were regarded as a top MC in the game, period. And from 94 to his untimely death and murder the 19, in March of 1997, there was no question who was the king of New York, and that was Biggie Smalls. That was just undeniable. So when you look so... So Nas at that point, uh, and, you know, Nas at that point, you can go back and listen to some of the tracks, Kicking the Door. Kicking the Door was Biggie coming at Nas. The message... That was Nas coming at Biggie. I say that because I, you know, based on the research and based on even just listening to the interviews, Jay-Z really was not on the radar of Nas during that time period, to be honest with you. From, from 94 to 90, during that time period, Nas, Nas was focused on Biggie. He didn't even see Jay-Z. Now, in 96, Reasonable Doubt came out, classic album, Jay-Z, still to this day, Jay-Z's best album. So at that point in 96, Jay-Z was, was, you know, was right there at that point. Like he did, was like, all right, this guy, this dude is, you know, clearly talented. He's, you know, I mean, he's, but remember, Jay-Z's first album came out in 96. He was 26 years old. He was young. He was old. That was an old, that was, that's old for a rapper to come out to debut. Now, he had did some stuff, Hawaiian Sophie with Jazzo, if you remember that, you know, back in the day. But this, in terms of his first debut album, that didn't come out until, 90, until like summer of 96, uh, where he was 26 years old. But Nas did not see Jay-Z uh, as, a, as a peer or as somebody who was a threat to him during that time. Nas was aiming for the top. And right after the top guy at that time, especially in New York, was Biggie Smalls, period. And that's what gets lost in all of this. So, Jay-Z samples Nas not once, but twice. He samples him in Dead Presidents. That was on Reasonable Doubt. He samples him in uh, Crack Game. Um, in Crack Game, which was on his second album, uh, Volume 1, which, which to me is one of probably the most Rap game, crack game, which was on uh, Value One, which to me was minus the, the song, minus the Babyface song "Sunshine" was I, I think probably probably the most underappreciated album. Jay Z, I one or Jay Z's not I I would say it, it's probably it's a top five Jay Z album. It probably one doesn't get the credit that it does that it deserves, but it's definitely a top five Jay Z album. So the story behind. Where, this, where the beef between Nas and Jay-Z started was the fact that Nas wanted to uh, 
Jay-Z wanted Nas to do a voiceover. Uh, he was going to re-record Nas's voice live on Dead Presidents. Nas refused to. Jay-Z wanted Nas to be a part of the video. Nas refused to be a part of the video. So that was the genesis of the uh, of their kind of uh, of their kind of uh, issues as far as um, if you want to put it back at their particular gen. Now again, Jay Z. This at this time, Jay Z did not come after Nas at that time. He didn't come after Nas um, during that time. Nas comes out with the message that was. That was, you know, that was him going towards Biggie. Um, then Jay-Z in 97 comes out. Uh, now, this is right after Biggie dies. He comes out with where I'm from, the city is buying, basically staking his claim as the king of New York. So he stay, he so those out those two in those two cuts, those two records, he stakes his claim as the king of New York. Um and then, you know. We go through a number of years. There are a number of subliminal of subliminals tracks. Before again, this is before two thousand one. Uh, I'm setting up two thousand one. We I know everybody wants to focus on two thousand one. There are and I'll put and I will I will post this once I release it, but maybe before I release this uh release this uh podcast. There are there are at least uh I would say 11 tracks that really can tell the story of this of Nas versus Jay-Z of Nas, Jay-Z and even Biggie to a lesser extent. Um I'll post that. So during this time period, so Jay so 97 97 uh after Big dies, after that Jay-Z takes off. He takes off in uh in 98 particular with Hard Knock Life that Grammys the album sells 98, 99, 2000, 90, so 98 to 2000 to 98 to 2001, Jay-Z is, undeni- is, is undeniably the king of New York from that standpoint. With, with what the record sales, with what he was doing, his impact. He's coming out every summer at that point. He's, he's making hit records at that point. And then we start to see some of the, some other people get involved with this. In particular, uh, Carmen Bryant. So Carmen Bryant, who used to date Nas, um, who had a 10-year relationship with Nas, matter of fact, and has a child who's the mother of his oldest child, uh, Destiny. Um, they go through a squabble. I shouldn't even say a squabble, like it was physical. It wasn't, I wasn't physical. They go through a, a period, they go through a rough period. And she then, in essence, goes and sleeps with Jay-Z. Then you have the song "Is That Your Chick" comes out. That was by Memphis Bleak and Jay Z is probably that he, but that basically he basically was like that he was a future, but he basically that almost that song was a Memphis Bleak song. But Jay Z is the dominant presence on that song. Is that your chick? Like that? Yeah, Memphis was and Memphis did his thing and that first album. Memphis was okay, but Jay, that was Jay Z song. So basically, Jay Z was talking about Carmen Bryant on Carmen Bryant on that album. Not out, but on that particular song, um, and Nas hears the song. Uh, Carmen Bryant says that Jay Z did it. Uh, you know, was petty about that song. Was petty in regards to that. She said 
that that song was based, without question if you listen to the song it's clearly based on her like that's I mean that's there's no question about it and again at this point in time remember so 99 to you know at this point in time Jay-Z is on top without question Nas like presumably is in a somewhat of a slump which was ridiculous. I mean, he came out, Nas comes out in 99 with two albums. He should have came out with Nostradamus. Um, I Am is still one of his more underrated albums. That, that dropped in like April of 99. Nostradamus drops in October of 99. Nostradamus is not, is not a bad album. It's, to me, his, Nas' worst album is Nostradamus, but it's not a bad album. But just for, you know, for his, just for the type of artist he is and where I think he's at, is it was below his standards and this again at this point at this point um jay-z is clearly on top of new york it's not, it's not even the question and you hear and then jay-z comes at him with uh 2000 on his on with uh with the memphis bleak song is that your chick and then we get to 2001 um so a couple stories a couple of backstories to this as well so in and I'll pull it up here. So basically, Jay Z in two thousand, right? Or in two thousand, early two thousand one, Jay Z inter- introduces some new artists in regards to Bleak, Freeway. Uh, in regards to Bleak, Bleak and Freeway, he introduced him the Rock, the, you know, the Rock family and things of that nature. He introduces them, and they do a, uh, they do a beat, they do a song over Queen's beats. Right, they do a song over Queens, over all Queens artists' beats, and at this point, Nas was heated, heated. So <laughs> here's what Nas said about that. Uh, I hit him up, and he said, "I hit him up, I hit him up," and he said, "Yo, God, ain't no way, ain't no way we was up there in Hot 97 disrespecting you. If we were, I'm telling you, telling you this, I'm lying to you. Then, then I'm not a man. Jay knows he said this to me. I said, cool, bro. If you mean that much." If you mean that much, and that means even if there was was disrespect from any of his crew, he he has he has taken the blame and said, "Nas, my bad." So that was the end of it. So, I guess the Jay Z in essence that was uh, seemingly an apology from Jay Z to Nas directly uh, about that. Again, this is in two thousand one. They went up to Hot ninety seven. They wrapped over some Jay Z, Jay Z Beans Freeway. Wrapped over some uh, some Queens beats, and Nas heard it, and immediately Nas heard it and pulled up to Jay Z or met up met up with Jay Z not not long after that, um, not long after uh after that, and then you know not long after that, so seemingly everything after that was good, um, after that was good. Now let me get back to the Carmen Bryant aspect because this, this is also important with in regards to Carmen Bryant, Jay-Z relationship. Carmen Bryant, again, Nas's ex-fiance, mother of his child, claims that she had a miscarriage by Jay-Z. Okay. She claims that she had Jay-Z's child, but it, 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 you know, she had a miscarriage. So I that cannot be left out of that. Um and she also claims, and again, you're here you you she also claims that she gave Nas advice on how to battle Jay-Z. So yeah, go go check out the Carmen Bryant interview on um Vlad TV is it like all part of it on that aspect. So she, I mean, she she feels like along with Memphis Beak, Memphis Beak's all Memphis Beak also feels that that's this way this way that they were in essence responsible for this beef. Both Memphis Bleak and Carmen Bryant feel like they 
started this, which is completely, which is, I mean, they were, they were involved, but they, I mean, it's completely insane uh, that, you know, that either one of them started this. They were not, they, now Carmen Bryant was a much bigger part of it than, uh, than uh, Memphis, Memphis, Bleak, Memphis Bleak was, but she didn't start it. This was not, that was not the start of it. Um, the first time Nas came at Jay-Z was in a song where he was talking about TV, um, Lexus's, he saw, uh, where he was talking about TVs and a Lex, and he says, this is what he said about it, I saw Jay-Z driving a Lex with TVs in them, I got rid of my Lex at that point, and I was looking for the next best thing. It wasn't a shot at Jay-Z, but it was just saying that that's the minimum you've got to have. It's not a shot at him, but he was inspired, but he did inspire that line. It wasn't necessarily necessarily a shot at him, but because the song was a shot at everybody, he fell into that. But he definitely inspired that line. So so in essence, that it was a shot at him. Um, so we get to 2001, and then basically, you know, all hell breaks loose with uh, Summer Jam 2001, where you have uh, Jay-Z not only come at YG, in Queens Ridge, but Jay Z finally, finally, openly came at Nas. Finally, using because Jay Z had done a number, it was a number of sub- subliminals that Jay Z had done over the course of his career, where he didn't use Nas's name, name, and you can look and you can go through them in those tracks. Even you know, the city is mine. Uh, where I'm from, those those were when well, he he did use Nas's name in um, where I'm from. You know, who's the best MC, Jay-Z, Biggie, or Nas, Biggie, Jay-Z, or Nas. He, so he did use Nas' name from that standpoint. But this Summer Jam 2001 was the first time he directly came after Nas uh, with TakeOver. And when that dropped, and when everybody first heard it, everybody thought that Nas, Nas's career was over. Remember, and keep this, keep this in mind, it's 2001. Nas has not dropped an album. Nas did not drop an album in 2000. He, the Queensbridge thing came about. That really was a commercial failure. Yeah, some nice tracks on the bass. Like, eh. And again, Jay Z at this point is at the top of his game, uh, completely at the top of his game, at the top of hip hop, let alone New York. And when he dropped Takeover in 2001, and where Nas was in his career, everybody thought that Nas was done. Nas had not been, and keep in mind, Nas's mother was sick at the time. So he at that point he wasn't as focused on music as you know as he normally was. Uh so he comes out with Takeover. Everybody just thinks and Takeover, listen, Takeover was a hot track. Takeover was a it was a fire in terms of a diss record. Takeover is up there as one one of one of the greats, one of the best diss tracks in, in hip hop history. So then uh Nas comes back with a, with a little slight jab at a, on a freestyle mix. Jay rewrites Takeover or adds to Takeover and puts that puts the Takeover that we all heard on his album. Um that really just I mean it was and I remember the Takeover song is over five minutes long and that you know that's where it inspired of course Ether. Nas drops Ether in December and Nas you know Nas wins the battle in terms of New York because the, uh, they took a poll in New York, and New York, New York voted that voted takeover. Boy, Nas um, being the better, uh, being the better track, 
And then, of course, Jay-Z had a couple of unreleased tracks that, this is why Nas won the battle. Nas won the battle. I actually think, in terms of musically, I actually think you can make a place that take over it musically is a better song with the beat and what have you. Ether is fire. But the reason why Nas won the battle is Jay-Z released two tracks after that that were just dreadful. One of them is unreleased called You Don't Know. And I will play that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that on this. Um, before, before, I'm going to play that before this segment. Parts of at least 30 seconds of that. So when you hear this podcast, you will hear how bad that track was. But it's hard. don't look it up. It's an unreleased diss track or You Don't Know that was horrible. Uh, Dame Dash was infuriated by by uh, Super Ugly. And this is where Carmen Bryant came into play. Came into, um, this, is where, no, this is where Carmen Bryant came into play as well. On Super Ugly, Jay-Z, you know, basically said, basically comes out, says he, he slept with Carmen Bryant. Uh, you know, you remember the line, skeeted on your babysit left, skeeted on your babysit left rubbers in your Range Rover. Like, he went, it went, it went, like, it was, it was a horrible track. And even Jay-Z's mom came out and was like, yo, basically told him, like, pipe down. And that's, and that's, that's in essence, like, ended the, uh, that in essence ended the beef or ended the battle. But um, Nas, uh, and then Jay Z released a, another track called "You Don't Know," which a lot of people have not have not heard. Which it was horrible. So that's why Nas won the battle because after after Ether, Nas, um, Jay Z released two more tracks. So if you thought if you I mean if you think that you won the battle if you're Jay Z after Takeover, then you don't have to say anything else. That's it. I release Takeover, game over. If you keep releasing tracks to respond to keep responding back and forth, then I then at that point it's like. And especially the end of the tracks are whack, which they were. Uh, then you then you clearly lost the battle. Like it was, you know, we saw we you know we saw we can deal as hip hop culture. We can deal with tracks, multiple tracks going back and forth. We saw it with Drake and Pusha T. Those are quality tracks, and we can judge them by there if they have multiple responses. But when your responses are terrible to the response uh, of of your initial. Of the, of the initial track, then that person clearly won the battle. So Nas clearly won the battle. A lot of people will say, well, Jay-Z won the war because Nas ended up signing with Def Jam, I think in 06. I don't subscribe to that to that theory because that had that Jay-Z signing Nas had nothing to do with those, with them going back and forth and preparing their music and what have you. Jay, we know Jay-Z is a superior to anybody as a businessman in the rap game. Um, as a rapper, I mean, he's the most successful rapper in the history of, of mankind. But in terms of that battle, it was it was Nas, and you know, when you look, listen, there's a race in terms of greatest rappers of all time. It, it is a two person race, and that's it. it is it, it's Nas, Jay Z, Jay Z, Nas. I can you can make a case for either one of them. I have Nas, uh, myself being number one, considering especially considering this latest run that he's on. With Hit Boy, with these five straight albums that have just, to me, has clearly separated separated him from Jay Z. But you know, a lot of people, the Jay Z stands, and a lot of hip hop will say, um, a lot of people in hip hop will say, uh, "It's Jay Z that's the greatest of all time." And but if you listen to some of the older rappers, some of the people that some of the older rappers go listen to some of them, they they have Nas. But regards to that, this battle defined the hip hop era. Uh, in the early in the 2001, this battle took hip hop to another level. 
It produced two classics, the Blueprint and Ether, excuse me, Blueprint and Stillmatic were both classic albums. I think Blueprint uh, was Jay-Z's second best album behind Reasonable Doubt. I, th- I think Stillmatic was Nas's second best album behind Illmatic, to be honest with you. So, hip, you know, hip-hop really won from that standpoint in regards to this battle. And again, they, they were, we will never see a battle like this with two guys in the same of this ilk uh, in the state of New York going at it, vying not only for not only for their one of them was vying for their career, but the other one was vying to take uh, you know, to eliminate an opponent that he knows was as just as, you know, just as superior to him. And listen, the Jersey Nas thing is is, is fascinating. It, it, when I was doing my research from the standpoint of you can tell you you can tell some that like Nas Nas was in Jay's head. Let's be honest. Like Nas, Nas has been in Jay's head for a while. Maybe not now because Jay Z has like fuck you money and he's doing and Jay Z really doesn't even rap anymore. To be honest with you, he'll drop the track. He'll drop. He'll jump on a feature here and now here and there. But he hasn't come out with an album since 2017. So uh, six years. So, but during that time. 2000s, even a little bit after that, uh, Nas had Nas, Nas was living rent, rent free in Jay's head. There's no question about it. And there, listen, there, you know, there are some within the hip hop community believe that Jay Z stole Nas's style and changed his flow, similar to uh, to kind of you know similar to Nas after a certain point in the, in the, his career. There are some again, it's hard, but it's almost. You know, it's hard to prove that, but there are some in the community that said that Nas, that Jay-Z took Nas's style. But regardless, this was a the defining hip-hop battle of the two greatest rappers in the history, uh, in uh, the history of rap that had a number, again, a number of, 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 of people, people that thought that they were, that were involved but probably didn't have as big as part as they thought in terms of Carmen Bryant and Memphis Bleak. Um, but the, again, I'll go back to the beginning. The underrated part of this battle was the Biggie, um, the Biggie component. Biggie and Jay-Z were close. Biggie King of, was the king of New York for a three-year period. It was the biggest thing in rap for that during that period. Uh, he's definitely a part of this, of the genesis of this battle. We'll begin in our NFL preview with uh, three questions that we that could define the NF the AFC East. Number one: Will Kansas City repeat as Super Bowl champions? They are the favorites until someone knocks them off. Um, they return the best player in the sport, uh, in Patrick Mahomes. They have the best coach in the sport in Andy Reid. Their defense should be better. Remember, they started like five rookies last year. I don't expect the Chris Jones situation that will get remedied. That will get set. Uh, that will get settled. Uh, Chris Jones is not going to sit out the season, uh, and you know over a contract, and that that um, he would be there, and he of course is their best outside. I think outside Patrick Mahomes, maybe their best player or third best player behind uh, Mahomes and Kelsey, but he he'll be on the field. Yeah, I, and again, Eric Bieniemy. All I have all the respect in the world for Eric Bieniemy, but let's be honest, that offense, Andy Reid calls the plays. Eric Bieniemy was in charge in terms of the running backs and and did some game planning on game day. But it, that is 
Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's offense. So I, I don't expect that the Eric Bannon-Me loss will impact their, their offense at all. Listen, you have Mahomes, you have Travis Kelsey. They have a top offensive line. They went out there and um, got fixed, you know, revamped their offensive line. The interior of the offensive line is already one of the best in the league. They picked up some new tackles. They'll be fine. Those, like, they are the team to beat. Remember, we thought, myself and Rob Sapp thought that last year was going to be a year that you could probably, that you could possibly get them and keep them out of the, the conference challenge, championship game. Listen, I'm not saying that, it, that they're going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, we know how hard it is to repeat. There hasn't been a repeat winner since the Patriots in 03 and 04. So, well over, so close. So, we're talking about 20 years now. A team hasn't repeated uh, as Super Bowl champions. Uh, but, they have as good as chances any team has had in since 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 then. They um you know, they they're the top of the heat right now. They have the rest of the NFL, AFC, the rest of the NFL is trying to is trying to catch them. Again, their defense will only be better than it was last year. Their defense will be stronger than it was last year. Will Sean Payton, Payton turn around Russell Wilson. Um for the Denver Broncos, that is the the burning question and one of the burning questions in in the around the AFC. Denver's coming off one of the worst offensive years in that any team that I've seen in my lifetime. They were one they were horrible offensively and just went beyond statistics. Even to, to watch Denver play offense was was painful. Now, Sean Payton, outside of Andy Reid, I think Sean Payton has been the best offensive mind in football over the last 20 years or so, we know Sean Payton is a tremendous coach. We know what he did in New Orleans and with Drew Brees. Drew Brees. They, have, they have a lot of offensive weapons and with the receivers, have a, some good running, you know, a solid running attack. There's no reason. Listen, Sean Payton has already put the bullet, the bullseye on himself with what he said about Nathaniel Hackett. I didn't understand why, you know, you kick him, you know. I, I've never heard another coach criticize another coach in terms of after he's taken his job. I, I, this, that was the first time I ever heard that. And I've been watching the NFL for a long, 30-plus years. I've never heard another coach come out of another coach that way. But regardless, maybe he's taking some pressure off Russell Wilson, putting them on himself. I don't know. Regardless, Denver, at worst, has to, to me, for, for them to have a successful season, has to get in the playoffs and win a playoff game. Making the playoffs is just not enough anymore in the NFL with the fact that you have an extra – that you have an extra round of playoffs. It does, I mean, because you can make the playoffs and just not be good. You can you can sneak you can creep into the playoffs at eight and eight. You could be depending on the conference. You could be even seven and nine. So it's not enough to just make the playoffs. Denver has to make the playoffs and win a playoff game in order to be remotely considered a successful season. There are some people that are high on Denver. There are some people that think that Denver could get to the AFC Championship. Um, I think Denver will be improved, and that's not saying much. I, I do think Denver will be a playoff team. I'm not ready to put them – I don't think they're a Super Bowl team because I just don't have the faith in Russell Wilson at this point in his career. I just don't. And this is a major year because Russell Wilson is not getting any younger. If they cannot turn around Russell – if he cannot turn around Russell Wilson, then this is a disaster for that franchise moving forward considering the money that Russell Wilson is, is making. So Peyton has no choice, not only for this year, but for the future of that franchise, the immediate future of that franchise, to turn around Russell Wilson. 
Will Kellen Moore be the difference in L.A.? Kellen Moore, of course, was the, the long-time the offensive coordinator for Dallas. They had some good years offensively uh, under him under him in the regular season. It didn't equate in the playoffs, but in the regular season, uh, it did. Um, he goes to a, a Charger team that we know has top talent. Uh, Justin Herbert, one of the, Herbert, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, they have excellent receivers, Williams and Allen. The difference is good enough. It's not great, but it's good enough. Uh, with Boza and and Khalil back, uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't got some defensive tackles to try and you know to improve against the run. They were horrible against the run last year. Listen, the Chargers made it to the playoffs last year and they blew like a, a, what, a 22, 27 point lead. So that you they you know that was actually they to make the playoffs and blow a twenty point lead in the playoffs is probably actually worse than missing the playoffs altogether. So them making the playoffs that's not going to be enough. Brandon Staley. His job to me is on the line with this year. This is a make or break year for them as well because um, after this year, Herbert's new contract will kick in. So this year, he's only like $8 million against the cap. That will go up to next year to about $30 million, if that, uh, if not more, uh, against the cap. So that this, this is a monumental year for that franchise. Moving forward, uh, they have to make they like to me, they have to like they they have the talent to be in the conference championship. They have that type of talent. Anything less to be than a conference championship appearance to me is a failure considering that talent, considering the talent that they have, and considering the fact that the we don't know about the rest of the AFC. Uh their question marks in Buffalo, can Tua stay healthy? Uh, you know, Cincinnati. Uh, has with that, those contracts are starting to go start to kick in with 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 with, uh, with some of their big name players. So the the AFC is not outside of Kansas City. The AFC is kind of open right now. Uh, Baltimore, we'll see what happens with Lamar Jackson and with Baltimore and, and with them. They're not, you know, they're they're they could be a playoff team. But they're not dominant. So the AFC is kind of open outside of Kansas City. I again, I think outside, anything less than a uh, divisional, anything less than a playoff appearance and a playoff win is a major failure. And again, if I'm if I'm in that up, if I'm the ownership, they, the Chargers probably would have to get to the AFC Championship for me to keep Brandon Staley, because you cannot waste these years with uh, having a top quarterback like Justin Herbert. They have too much talent to be as inconsistent as they have have been. Um, and again, you have a top quarterback. Justin Herbert is a legit top franchise capital quarterback in this league you cannot waste that um you cannot waste that uh especially with this extension kicking in in 2024 so those are the three questions in the afc west uh kansas City clearly still the team to beat in that division uh i didn't mention the raiders because the raiders are not going to be any factor whatsoever i have no I don't, you know, Jimmy Garofalo, and I'm a Jimmy Garofalo fan, but I don't. That the Raiders have so many issues, they will be, they will be, they will not be a factor in terms of keeping even to be even a playoff spot. So I, I think the rest of the division will feast on the Raiders uh, this year, and it will be, you know, Kansas City, and you'll have the Chargers and Denver fighting it out for that second playoff spot. Well, I let you go. A couple things in terms of uh, uh, real thoughts. Um, so. Already, a um, little bit of interesting uh, coaching 
in, in going on in Washington. Uh, you heard this week, you know, some apparently some players have had some issues with uh, Eric Bieniemy's coaching style, his aggressive coaching style, which, which we, we've heard before, heard some talk about even with Kansas City. Uh, then you have um, Ron Rivera come out and you know come out and compare the enemy to coaching style to Jack Del Rio, which was just made no sense. And even Ron Rivera said it made it to putting his foot in his mouth uh, with that. Um, here's the bottom line to me. I don't care when you've been, when you've been getting your ass kicked for the better part of 20 plus years, 24 years, you've been one of the worst perennial franchises in the NFL. I don't want to, I don't want to hear anything about a coach being too hard on you. One of the issues with this franchise has been a lack of discipline. And there's been a sense of entitlement. There's been a sense of players getting over, going directly to Daniel Snyder, going, um, not having any respect for their coaches, not having any respect. Like, it was like club. It was like a country club. It's been like a, besides how toxic the environment has been because of Daniel Snyder, he also created a, a, a environment of where, players, especially players that were making any, any big money on the team could basically do what the hell, do whatever they want, go around the coaches, go directly to the owner, not be a, no accountability. So I, for me, it's refreshing as a fan of the team, of the franchise, a long-time fan, to have, some, to have a kick-ass coach who holds players accountable. And I, those players haven't won anything they don't have a leg to stand on. There's not a player on that team that has the cachet to say, hold up, you know, I don't appreciate this. There's not a player. Like, first of all, that's, that type of stuff should be held. We shouldn't even have heard about it. So if someone has a problem with Eric Bieniemy, they need to go to Eric Bieniemy. That should, the media, we shouldn't even be hearing about it, per se. Even in this time of age with social media, I understand that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't hear about it. There's a reason why like four or five franchises have dominated the NFL the past 20, 30 years, starting with the Patriots. All those franchises at some point, probably all those franchises, you know, there's some a level of accountability held through their organization. And it starts with the coaches. So um I don't I don't want to hear it. From from the from the, from the Washington Commander players, I you have again you don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to uh, someone coaching you hard. And let's be honest about the NFL. I've seen both styles win. I've seen Tony Judge be highly successful with the kind of I ain't gonna say lazy fair approach, but we're kind of he's not a yeller. He's not a rah rah guy. He makes his he he's clearly his points get through because his teams win. And we've also seen the aggressive. Tom Coughlin in your face. If you're five minutes early, then you're late. That approach, we've seen that win multiple Super Bowls and be highly successful. And he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach someday. So we've seen both styles play out. And normally how it works, when a coach gets fired and he was too hard, they say, well, we need to scale back and get a player's coach. When a coach is too loose on the players, they say, hey, we need a more aggressive coach. So there is, it's, you know, it's flavor of the month. It's normally whatever is what working. The bottom line is you need a level, regardless of which approach you take, your players need, there needs to be a level of accountability in that in, in that locker room, period. And 
Washington has not had that high level of accountability over the course of the better part of 20, 24 years. So, um, I again, players don't have a leg to stand on. I hope Eric Bieniemy stays aggressive and continues to uh, coach whatever style. And again, the results will speak for themselves. What happens on the field will speak for itself eventually. Once we once the season starts, over the water. Last, I mean, it's been a week now, but we all saw what happened transpired in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, it was frankly beautiful as a black man. It was beautiful to watch black people come together, defend defend one another in a real way for something for the for the right thing, not for not for some bullshit, but for something that's fighting for another person's you know safety and what have you. Um, it was beautiful. I, I loved it. I loved every moment of it. Um, you know. <laughs> A seventeen-year-old swimming, you know, you know, you know how unselfish you got to be to swim, and that wasn't a short distance to swim, and be ready to throw hands after swimming. So shout out to this, shout out to that young king for that. But you know, but you know that situation is over right now. Of course, there have been some arrests, and people have turned themselves in, what have you, what have you, and we'll probably won't be talking about it probably, you know, after tomorrow. I mean, after after today or after this weekend, we probably won't be talking about it anymore because the next next thing will come up. That's how this the news cycle works in 2023. But the bottom line is, as African Americans, I just I want to see us have that same energy in terms of fighting for you know this attack on our just livelihood through civil rights, through uh, voting rights education i want us to keep that same energy that same just fighting for our livelihoods in this country because this country is this country right now has a clear and distinct uh agenda in terms of attacking african americans as a whole and listen that, that that's been the case forever you go back to slavery that's been the case so that's nothing new but you know we can do some great things when we come together so that that was a perfect example of that. I just want us to come together that much more. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, episode nine hundred two. Uh, we certainly uh, we will be back shortly uh, with the next episode of Snowfall. Um, uh, episode so it'll be episode nine hundred three, season one, episode eight of Snowfall. I think the episode is going to call Baby Teeth. Um, so we'll be certainly back with that. Have a great rest of your weekend. So long.